t-shirts in the shop. Just go to pgttcm.com. Check out all of our cool t-shirts and stickers. Heck, we even got some shower curtains in there. Keep clean. Look cool. Have cool stickers to put on stuff. Join us on Patreon and get a free sticker. Or don't. It's up to you. You're listening to KZOM, Olean Public Radio. It is me, D.B. Spitzer, and across from me, virtually, is, of course, Farmer Dave. Farmer Dave, how the heck are you doing this week? I am virtually well. Virtually well, that's good to hear. And I am excited about what we are going to be talking about today. Yeah, what's that? We are talking about not Arthur Conan Doyle. Not Conan the Detective, not the redhead Conan talk show person. Boo. We are we are talking about Conan the Barbarian. Conan the Barbarian. So we're going to be talking about Conan. I was thinking maybe we could cover a couple of topics, but then then Conan came up, and I'm like, you know. Randolph Carter gets his own episode, and Randolph Carter's only in a couple short stories. Conan was a serious character in a lot of a lot of stories that you know, not a lot of people went. You know, let me write some Randolph Carter fan fiction. You know, there's there's not people fighting over copyright of Randolph Carter. Uh-huh. <laughs> Ralph agrees with you. Ralph Ralph definitely agrees with you there. And and I think there were actually only twelve or so Co- uh, Robert E. Howard Conan short stories. Sure, sure, yeah. If you look, you'll get about forty. Because a lot of them are going to be later published after his death. Mm -hmm. They're going to be story ideas that he had for different characters that are going to be. But I think there were originally like 12 stories Mm -hmm. and an unpublished novel. Well, according to Wikipedia, there are uh, 17 originals, weird tales, and then there was uh, one in Fantasy Fan Magazine um, and several not published in this, within his lifetime and several like unfinished stories in general that had like just really cool names like the Hall of the Dead and the Hand of Nurgle, the Snout in the Dark. Well, the Snout in the Dark, that doesn't sound too terrible. Yes. Now, now what a lot of people don't know uh, about this is that Robert E. Howard created two Conan characters. Yeah, yeah. And, and I sort of see this, you know, Howard, no, Lovecraft was an atheist atheist sure sure yeah yeah you know he was like the perfect atheist uh-huh. Howard really believed in reincarnation okay and, 
and we see that, and we see that in what I read as the first Conan story. Yeah. And it turned out it's not Conan the Barbarian. It was a different Conan, um, and that's the People of the Dark. Hmm. And and again, it's a it's a 90-year-old story, but it's a, one of his best stories. And uh, we're gonna spoil it for you if you haven't. That that's the official Ralph the Rooster spoiler warning. Spoiler um, alert, everyone. Yes. Uh, so, uh, in this story, and uh, I'm not exactly sure when it's published, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. but I think that this is autobiographical, in some extent, maybe not. But um, I think this is after uh, he he discovered that. Novelin Price was dating someone else. Okay. And that the main character, uh, which is again, uh, I don't think it's ever named. I think it's a this, um, uh, you know, the all the almighty I narrator. Yeah. yeah. Uh, chases, you know, follows uh, his girlfriend and and her no bow bo into the dragon caves. Ooh. Uh, and he, he's gonna he's gonna kill him. Um, but then, uh, and there he's in, uh, somewhere in the United Kingdom. I, I think it's Scotland or Ireland. I think it's actually, uh, the original Conan was, a like, uh, uh Howard liked to think of himself as genetically, a uh, black Irish. <laughs> and, and so as they go into this cave, he gets possessed by the ancestor, uh, Conan. Yeah. Uh, who is then attacked by these aborigines, which are are not Australian aborigines. These are these missing links, mm-hmm. half human, half animals. And, and it brings back the spirit of his ancestor, Conan, who fought these. And so he goes after these, these missing link aborigines mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. as opposed to, um, uh, you know, going after... Uh, uh, his lover who's cheating on him. Yeah. And so that, I honestly, I read that before I read any of what what we now call sort of the Conan the Barbarian series. Uh-huh. Um, and, and the term, I mean, the Conan Barbarian is pretty much created a concern mm-hmm. in, for the comic books. Yeah, yeah. But, um, so the character we call Conan the Bar- Barbarian, I thought this was an actual... Conan the Barbarian, but it was a different Conan character. Gotcha. Okay. Uh, so he kind of takes this character, though, and, and and I, like I said, Howard really, really believed in reincarnation. Mm-hmm. And so I kind of think of this as sort of as, as one sort of version of Conan ends. Yeah. It gets reborn in another version. Okay. And the next version is going to be, and we discussed this a little bit last week. Okay. Really is going to be King Cole. Okay, yeah. And for those of you who are not familiar, it's not King Cole the Merry Soul. Mm-hmm, it's mm-hmm. King Cole, K-U-L-L. Mm-hmm. And where... Kill with a U. <laughs> yes, yes. Exactly. And that maybe would be what, uh, what he was thinking when he said that. And so he has this idea. He wants to take this character from slave to king. Yeah. But after about three stories, he kind of writes himself in a corner. So that we talked about last week, he went on basically uh, traveled the uh, Texas-Mexican border until he had written 
basically the history of this continent that he would have Conan travel all around sort of in a big giant spiral mm-hmm. and end up as king. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, I would say a proto version of uh, Conan is King Cole. Yeah. In fact, a lot of King Cole stories are going to be uh, changed by uh, Len Carter and DeCamp, and we'll go into them more, I'm sure, uh, into Conan stories. Yeah. But um, the, one of the most interesting, I think, Cole facts mm-hmm. is that the character played by James Earl Jones yeah. in the uh, Conan movie, mm-hmm. that's not a Conan character, that's a King Cole character. Cool. Yeah, so Doom is is a Conan character, and then when they make a King Cole movie mm-hmm. with Kevin Sorbo, yeah, they use not a King Cole story, they use a Conan story. So Hollywood pretty much sees King Cole and Conan as the same. <laughs> um, and then yeah, you wrote in. Uh, and he sort of ends too. He kind of left. I mean, Howard sort of ends the stories. He has this idea of where he wants it to go, and when he's finished, he has Conan disappear. But you know, he goes off. Uh, but he he kind of ends the story as far as Howard is concerned. Yeah. Uh, and he did get an offer to write a novel, and it never quite comes through. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I don't, and this is sort of, I think, the beginning of, uh, of, of course, Conan the Barbarian. Before we go into other versions, was there something that you wanted to share about the character at this time? Or oh goodness, uh, <laughs> I, I I wanted to say uh, my personal exposure to Conan was watching the movie as a kid, and uh, you know, being like seven or eight and watching Conan. Uh, in, in in my living room on VHS and just going, oh, wow, is there more stuff like this? Like, I want to say that Conan the Barbarian is honestly kind of the entryway for me. For uh, It was like Conan the Barbarian and then my dad going, oh, yeah, sure, let me show you this movie called Lord of the Rings and there's another movie called The Hobbit. You know, the uh, animated movie. The animated version. Yeah, yeah, the, from the 70s. And, uh, you know, luckily our video store had those movies. And, you know, then I found out that I liked fantasy because it wasn't really that, that that kind of like of a mainstream, easy thing to get in the early, early 80s. I want to say it's like fantasy. It, it wasn't like there was like any the only fantasy on on television in the early 80s was Fantasy Island <laughs> and, and, yeah. and Love Boat crossover episodes. There wasn't like a lot of like science fiction. Uh, it's 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 like the science fiction that I remember in the early 80s is like uh, the A-Team, <laughs> honestly, in some of their solutions felt like science fiction to me. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah I, I didn't feel like there was like a lot of like representation of fantasy, especially like sword and sandal or like uh, Middle Earth style uh, medieval fantasy kind of stuff, really. Um I mean, yeah, maybe maybe the closest thing that I had at that point in time was like Conan the Barbarian and Star Wars, but yeah, yeah. And and if it was, it was uh, 
cheesy uh, Italian swords and sorcery. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that generally, like, my parents wouldn't necessarily wa- let me watch because there was a lot of boobs in it or just, like, really cheap gore effects. And I remember, like, seeing pilots for shows that were kind of, like, Conan-esque, but you'd only ever see the pilot and then it would be gone. And yeah. <laughs> there was never anything. And then, that, you know, and, and, and I don't know, I, I, I want to say thank goodness for basic cable coming into an existence and getting things like Xena and Hercules, which eventually led the way to a Conan TV show, good or bad, at least it existed. <laughs> yeah, and, and no, absolutely. And the Conan cartoons, and mm-hmm. things are, again, I think other reincarnations. Oh, of sure. Conan. But Conan is not the character that made Howard the most amount of money. Oh, interesting. I, I, I know you've probably told me this fact before, but whom is it? So the most amount of money, he was very successful towards the... We died with a character called uh, Breckenridge Elkins. <laughs> which was basically cowboy comedy. Okay. okay. Um, so there, it's sort of like, think of Jethro Bodine uh-huh. and the Beverly Hillbillies. Yeah. But make them dumber and stronger. <laughs> <laughs> and he was basically this 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 sort of good old boy that wasn't very smart that you know would always get into fights but mm-hmm. somehow dumb luck would just you know save gotcha. him gotcha. And, and, you know and the, the cutest girl the girl in the uh, you know the village liked him but he was making pretty decent money yeah. towards the end of his life huh. uh, so he made more money yeah with the the Breckenridge Elkin stories. <laughs> Than he made with the Conan, but hmm. Conan is probably is his enduring yeah legacy, yeah. Uh, and even uh, after he he dies, um, it's still kept. And then I think the really next after Howard's death is the thing that really sort of reincarnated. Um, Conan the next mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is the Lancer books. Okay. And, and so the Lancer were uh, Ellsberg the Camp and mm-hmm, Lynn mm-hmm. Carter. Okay. Basically re-edited, you know, re uh, re-edited the Conan stories. Okay. Added new ones. And so Ellsberg the Camp is kind of gonna be the August Derleth of the Robert E. Howard story. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and that, that he's going to, uh, he's going to take much more credit. He's basically going to, you know, make as much claims. These are my stories as much as they were Howard's. Yeah. Um, and, you know, let history speak. Uh, I, I don't think there's really anyone really like, I mean, like decamps the version better uh-huh. but he did preserve it yeah. he did progress it he did increase the market and, and, and one of the things that I think really helped the Lancer mm-hmm. were the covers okay by uh, Frazetta yeah. these are these covers with the, this huge yeah, barbarian and the barbarian and the that scantily clad women mm-hmm. and, and it kind of gets us this concept that is even carried on now to to, to 5e D&D yeah 
that Conan didn't wear armor. Which is false, which is super false. false. Exactly. Um, Yeah, he reads whatever appropriate armor. Uh The reason why, though, Pacetta didn't like drawing armor. Yeah, yeah. So he he, he, he thought that it was boring compared to um, body tone. Yeah. Uh, And so no matter what it is, he would basically do Conan shirtless. And, and that's where we get this idea that the shirtless Conan or mm-hmm. sort of reca- reincarnated again. Yeah. But it really, really did sell books. Yeah. It, it, it sold a lot of books. I remember, I remember, you know, being like 10 and seeing a copy of one of the Conan Lancer paperbacks in the kids section of my public library. I, Look at the cover. That's a kid's book, you know. I'm like, <laughs> but um, so, yeah. I, I mean, say what you want about the camp. Mm-hmm. It, he did get the name and the character out there. Sure. Ready yeah. for its next major reincarnation, which is the Marvel Comics. Yeah. Now, um, so Marvel Comics is. Basically, um, connected with Roy Thomas. Mm-hmm. And for those of you who do not aren't familiar with uh, Roy Thomas, uh, he was basically um, Stan Lee's right hand man, or at least that's what he claimed. And there was this poll. So Marvel decided for marketing reasons. Maybe we need to expand so that we are not so stuck on, you know, if comic if superheroes fold, mm-hmm. we've got other markets. Yeah. And so they had they had a vote and it was uh, Lord of the Rings, Conan, um, I believe Fred in the gray, Fred in the gray Mauser, mm-hmm. and I th- believe um, it was uh, Doc Savage. Okay, all right. And, and so there's both. Who do you want to be the most to get their monthly comic? Mm-hmm. And Conan just beat everybody else combined. Hmm. Just tore apart, you know, Lord of the Rings, everyone else. So, um, Stan Lee goes, well, okay, uh, this is going to be our next comic. And so he basically goes to, to Roy Thomas mm-hmm. and he says, uh, I want you to um, make this comic book. And Roy, um, Roy did not know anything about Conan per se. Mm-hmm. He had read the first book and he yeah, he wasn't that impressed. Uh, but, you know, he had read uh, um, a decamp version. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So he really starts digging through, and especially what we talked a little bit about last week, mm-hmm. we started going through, um, uh, you know, uh, the history of Hyboria, and he starts adding to the Conan myth. Mm-hmm. He basically reincarnates Conan again. Uh, and a lot of what we see. So this is the first time we see Conan 
The Barbarian. Yeah. You know, it's marketed. Because all the previous books, they picked that title because, you know, all the Lancer books, all the complicated, you know, they had Conan the Pirate, Conan mm-hmm. the King, Conan yeah. the Freebooter, Conan, you know, this. <laughs> but they didn't have a book, Conan the Barbarian. That's why they, they, um, chose the, the title that, uh, you know, Conan. Um, and this is the time that we are going to see um, the creation of uh, Red Sonja. Yeah. Uh, we're going to see a lot of sort of things. A lot of these will be retelling of, of stories, but a lot of it would be uh, new stuff that they would create. And this is also going to be get ready. I don't think if there... So if there wasn't the Lancer mm-hmm. books, there wouldn't have been the comic books. Yeah. If there wasn't the comic books, there wouldn't have been the movie. Mm-hmm. And I believe that that is where most people first heard about... Well, most people of a certain age mm-hmm. is the first thing that they heard yeah. of, of Conan. Yeah. Um, and so uh, there were a lot of ideas for the Conan movie including that it was going to be after like World War 3 okay alright uh, and unfortunately the, uh, they decided you know to go with the movie that we have uh, where I think Mostly, I mean, even even when I read like the original comic books, mm-hmm. or I'm reading, uh, you know, Robert E. Howard, it's hard for me not to give Conan an Austrian accent. <laughs> you know, so you, you know, and, and, so, and this I became this sort of this new reincarnation is in the movies yeah and and to be honest there was a lot of wild ideas here you know uh, I forgot the the sort of thief that hangs out with him Mm -hmm. that was just some surfer dude he'd never been in a movie before yeah you know they got uh, you know uh, you know Mako so it was sort of some very sort of radical things that was you're absolutely right different that it sort of took Conan but it took movies in a different way oh yeah there were so many Conan knockoffs after Conan came out there were so many low budget sword and sorcery movies it was like it was like someone makes a good science fiction movie someone makes and then you have like a slew of movies that you know it's like someone makes a a movie that's like stands out in some way and then everyone goes oh I can do that for really cheap okay everyone we're going to Italy everyone we're going to Vietnam everyone we're going to Nicaragua we're gonna go film in the jungles of South America and 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 I have to say, I that 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 is one of my favorite aspects of Conan, is is what it started for, just kind of like B movies, and like I don't know, um, 
I, there's 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 like I, I feel like we wouldn't have like certain trauma films we wouldn't have certain like Roger Corman films I mean uh, I don't know I mean <laughs> um, the, you know the, the, there were Sinbad films and you know there was there was like Clash of the Titans and stuff like that but in in, in ways it, it, it could not compare to Conan the Barbarian there was this like like darkness to Conan. There was like this edge, this like this this anger, this this this. Sorry if I anyone with earbuds, but <laughs> and it definitely see yes, it took fantasy, definitely took fantasy movies in a way, uh, and for the time. You know, 82 to Canada, uh, it pushed, you know, the limits. Mm-hmm, it pushed the limits of a, an R-rated, uh, an R-rated movie. Mm-hmm, yeah, yeah, and definitely. Definitely, actually, uh, set, it set up Schwarzenegger on his path. Mm-hmm. Oh, definitely, definitely. Yeah, no, it was um, a movie that, it was, it was a kingmaker in, in, in multiple ways. Um, and then, like, what 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 came after Conan the Barbarian besides opening up a genre to like the world to be aware of muscly people swinging around big chunks of metal in ancient the ancient world or post apocalyptic world? So, so I think you're right. A lot of them are going to be, you know, like eight or they're going to be, uh, you know. Uh, Warrior Queen. A lot of them are going to be ripoffs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there are, I believe, you know, there were a few. I think Excalibur predates Conan. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, so there, there were, you know, some high fantasy, but you know, it was mainly Arthurian. Yeah. It was mainly Simbad. And so here is, you know, you know, it is again sort of this person of the populace, the people. You know, Conan is not starts out the, you know, the king, or he doesn't start out the king. You know, in this the the movie, you know, he starts out as a a slave, mm-hmm. and I think that's something else that sort of people like, especially. Yeah. And, First, you know, um, also Doom was, you know, by uh, James Earl Jones was mm-hmm. just uh, uh, amazing. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and not just a sort so of sandal Darth a, Vader. <laughs> this is off. Yeah, this is a little off. Uh, but uh, did you know that the first time that James Earl Jones met Carrie Fisher? Uh, no. Was in only once. They only met in person once. Oh, and that was in a 2014 filming of the Big Bang, Big Bang Theory that they both uh, attended. <laughs> they were both on the same episode. That is the only time they ever met each other in person. Interesting. I thought, for me, in fact, I found that sweet because I thought I'd change. Huh. Uh, so, um, and of course, there's almost so there's a third. So there's two official Conan movies <laughs> from. But there's kind of a third, which is Red Sonja. Yeah, yeah. Uh, now, Red Sonja, Red Sonja with a J, 
is was or with a Y is created by Robert E. Howard. Yeah. Red Sonja with a J is written uh, by uh, Roy Thomas. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so it's a separate trademark than Conan the Barbarian. Yeah. So and when they did get around to the the Conan, I mean the Red Sonja movie. They couldn't use Conan the Barbarian. Mm-hmm. They had to create like another character. Yeah. Uh, and, and honestly, until I saw it, and I didn't see it until the TV, I thought it was the third Conan movie. Yeah. I, I, I've always, a lot of people I know have always treated it like, you know, we know they couldn't say it was Conan, but that's Conan. You don't get Arnold Schwarzenegger to play a barbarian, and it's not Conan. It's, it's like... Legally, we can't say this is Conan, but you all at home know this is Conan. Is kind of how I felt about the movie as a kid, and, and I still feel that way, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> and, and so, there was definitely a lot. You know, there was a Conan TV show. Mm-hmm. Um, I like Marvel, and, and I like the Dark Horse. I love Dark Horse comics. Mm-hmm. I like their Conan stories. But, you know, Marvel's taking everything back. And, and I like the sort of new reincarnation, which is basically just an old version, or trying to go back to old school comics, yeah. Conan. But what I don't think really succeeded was making Conan an Avenger. Oh, oh one more time? So he's not like... Conan as an Avenger. Oh, Conan is an Avenger. I did not ever hear about that. So, so he's not the he's not the main Avenger roster, uh-huh. but there's the Savage Avengers, gotcha. which has Punisher and Doctor Voodoo and, and a time traveling Conan, uh-huh. and, and I think maybe Black Widow, huh. and they did a. So as long, in fact, they even Marvel even brought back Roy Thomas to write a couple of episodes and uh-huh. didn't miss a beat. As, as good as good as his other stuff. Okay. Uh, but when they're set in the Hyborian age, mm-hmm. but Conan as basically for without the more necessarily, you know the. Comic Code Authority behavior. Sure. It didn't work for me, uh, and I don't. Th- and a lot of I think comic book fans, it didn't work for. Mm-hmm. So this, um, but yeah. So so Conan was part of the Savage Avengers, gotcha. and, and and Conan time traveling and stopping uh, a crime in uh, Las Vegas. You know that it just that version just that reincarnation didn't work that well for me. Gotcha. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to think if there's any other incarnations of Conan that have come out within like the last ten years that I'm aware of, and I am drawing a blank, except for video games. So video games, especially, but and there was the Jason Momoa movie. Oh, I I, I missed that one somehow. I didn't get through. Yeah, um, Momoa was fine. I mean, he yeah. was charismatic, but I didn't get through the movie. Okay. I mean, I was excited about, it, but yeah. So, so uh, yeah, about maybe twelve years ago, there was a, a new Conan movie. Mm-hmm. It just, yeah, it, it didn't quite work. But I think that is kind of the new thing. And uh, one other version 
uh, as other authors have uh, so Robert Jordan who wrote the Wheel of Time series yeah um, he wrote four uh, his four uh, Conan novels oh. uh, in the 80s oh, that's cool. uh, and before he did the Wheel of Time mm-hmm. uh, so there's definitely been quite a few reincarnations but now my understanding is that the trademark uh, is Conan is owned by a gaming company <sighs> and that that's it that they really want to uh, I think that's going to be the next real big incarnation yeah uh, is is Conan and video game characters yeah 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 no no there's a Conan Exiles I remember uh, playing on the PlayStation 4 and I remember being like oh this is a pretty cool game get to roll around Hyboria build bases uh, build your uh, crew and stuff and it was it was an interesting game um but it, you know, it just wasn't wasn't quite what I was looking for in a Conan game. Uh, I don't necessarily want to, you know, build little villages. That just I want to I want to troubleshoot. I want to be a pirate. I want to be uh, <laughs> a barbarian. I want to be you know. It's like I want to do all the crazy different things that Conan does. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, no, no, um, definitely. Uh, I, I think with like open world concept games um I, I know dave that you don't play video games and you're just really good at running everyone into walls but uh, i i definitely think uh, a, a new next step in conan uh story and evolution is definitely uh future could lie in video games as 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 much as it does in comic books or books or in uh cinema but yeah yeah um i would I, I would be excited to see honestly excited to see any uh kind of conan game out there honestly but yeah um whether it be role-playing or uh i don't know just a, a, a side-scrolling fighter <laughs> um and i think that really is going to be sort of the next reincarnation of, of conan it is going to be a very video-centric Oh, sure, yeah. centric yeah yeah and they're going to kind of build around that mm-hmm, mm-hmm. sure definitely definitely all right well everyone uh who do we got with us for uh interview this week so uh we've got a really good interview and we are going to be talking with uh, Jason Stewart, and cool. we're going to be talking uh, about horror and Cthulhu, but also the 80s. Cool, cool, cool. Nice. All right, so we'll do that, and then after that, Dave and I are going to talk about a specific incarnation of Conan. Conan in your RPG. All right, we'll see you all after the break. The Shrink Next Door. Only on Apple TV. A 2021 drama starring Will Ferrell and Paul Rudd. Inspired by the true story of Marty and the therapist who turned his life around. Then took it over. When we first meet Dr. Reich, Marty just wants to get better at boundaries. Over 30 years, he'll learn all about them. And what happens when they're crossed. The Shrink Next Door. Only on Apple TV. Look for the show notes for a link. 
Thank you once again for listening to People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. You can help show your support by going to the show notes and following any of the links that'll tell you how to support the show and how to support our guests. And thank you to all of our guests who you can find in the show notes. Rate, review, subscribe. And remember, patrons get priority access to asking us questions, suggesting topics, even, I don't know, uh, submitting stuff. Actually, you don't have to be a patron to submit anything. That's how Dave got on the show, and that's how you can get on the show, too. It's the People's Guide to the Cthulhu Mythos. Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends. Thank you for listening. Back to the show. So we are now talking with Jason Stewart, and Jason Stewart is, is an author, and he's going to talk about two things that I love, the Cthulhu Mythos and the 80s, uh, and maybe some more. Jason, why don't you introduce yourself to our audience? Oh, sure thing. Um, yeah, so my name's Jason Stewart, and uh, I'm an author. I've been uh, published for a little over 10 years now. Um, a few short stories at first, and then my first novel, Raise a Holler, came out 10 years ago. Um, mm. And uh, that was kind of a southern adventure romp, sort of a, uh, and, you know, sort of a Lord of the Rings, but set in the rural south in the 60s. And, uh, you know, and then uh, I, wrote, I wrote a little bit in that vein for a few years, and then switched gears a few years back and decided to go in a completely different direction. And... <laughs> So my new work, my, you know, my current project is a trilogy of, you know, sort of all of the 1980s pop culture sort of shoved, smashed, just sort of molded into one ball, like one linear three novel story. And and the goal is as many Easter eggs as I can possibly shove in into this thing. Um, I love Easter eggs. Yeah, it, it's, you know, like I said, I, I won't go into too many specifics on anything, sure. but, you know, it's... You know, we start with uh, my main character, uh, a, a high school girl, redhead named Molly. There's no similarity or relation to any famous 80s redheads named Molly. So, um, I can't think of and, any. I, I, I mean, yeah, I can't think I, of any any yeah. Mollys and hmm, short redhead, and, right? Uh, yeah, short short red hair. However you want to imagine it, sure. Yeah, I'd say somewhere in the in, in the shoulder length to above, maybe. Um, but then, yeah, you know, she has a, a crazy adventure while babysitting and one thing goes wrong after another and, you know, fabulous secret powers are revealed to her one night and then everything just sort of rolls downhill from there. Um, as happens. Yeah, as happens. And then, uh, you know, in, in my head, even though it's a novel, in my head, it's a musical set to an all 1980s soundtrack. Um, and I even borrow song titles as chapter titles, uh, which is not something I'm not picking any new ground there I've, I've noticed a few people doing that over the years so i just decided to borrow that same trope i i love that you know i you know i thought i i call it method writing by playing you know music in the background and i thought i invented that but almost every writer i ever talked to said yeah of course dave we all do that oh yeah exactly 
Um, it isn't new. I, I, I've been borrowing songs and song titles for years. Um, you know, every novel in this trilogy is an, a, a classic 80s song title. First one is Jukebox Hero. Second one is Hungry Like the Wolf. And the third one, which releases next month, is Rainbow in the Dark. Um, so it's, uh, yeah, I feel like the music really makes it. Um, that was, uh, you know, that was the most disappointing thing to me in, in the new Wonder Woman. Uh, they build it as an 80s, you know, pop culture thing, and then they had no music. It was strange. Yeah. Um, what, what, do you think, what do you think is some of the draw of the 80s? Why do you think um, why do you think the 80s are so popular now? Uh, I do I have a couple of I have a couple of thoughts on that. Um, one is it, well you know guys like me, guys like us that live you know our generation, let me say I shouldn't say guys. Um, yeah, are you, you know, talking about I, my generation? Sorry, yeah, I I'm talking about, that one yeah, in. talking about my generation. <laughs> um, so yeah, I think Gen X and even the older millennials that were you know around for most of it, and definitely, and they definitely caught the reruns on cable in the '90s. Yeah. Um, that music, that time, that aesthetic. Um, well, we're now hitting middle age, and we're getting you know we're starting that turn where we start to look backward a little more often than we look forward, unfortunately. So I think we're hitting those nostalgic years of our lives where we look back and we just want to listen to the old music, watch the old movies, play the old games, that sort of thing. And and the other reason I think the 80s specifically is a big thing, more so I think than the two decades sandwiching it, 70s and the 90s. And I could be wrong about this, but I, I look back at the 20th century nostalgic decades, pop culture that really sort of had staying power mm. and you had the 1920s that whole aesthetic you know the bootleg the prohibition the flappers uh, fast the, the roaring 20s yeah the roaring 20s that was a big thing people talked about the roaring 20s for decades and decades and decades and then even more so than that the most in terms of pop culture if i, I think if we had to draw a bullseye around what decades aesthetic has been the biggest pop culture phenomenon. It's the fifties. Yeah. I mean, entire genres of like, a, you know, movie, pop culture, you know, music sort of draw on that, that, that sort of aesthetic of the fifties. You have music culture that, is pretty much invented then. Yeah. Rock and roll is, is essentially becomes the dominant force car exactly. culture. Diners. I'm like I said, every town had a 50s diner for years. I think they still do. Um, and here locally, where I live, there's this big festival every October. They call it Cruising the Coast, and it's basically just a 10 day 50 extravaganza. And it's all these mm. you know, people, and there. A lot of these guys, the um, generation, the Boomers, and even the generation prior to the Boomers, they drive these classic cars down here, like yeah. 10,000, 20,000, 30,000 cars driving up and down the beach for, for over a week. And it's a miracle to me that these things are still running. But yeah, every business turns into a 50 diner overnight. Um, oh, nice. It, yeah, it's, it's nothing but doo-wop and Elvis Presley and Carl Perkins and, you know, blue suede shoes. Um, and yeah, it's, I, I think about that. And then along comes the 80s. And the 50s were really big in the 80s. Like, you know, Back to the Future, one of the most iconic 80s movies, 80s trilogies. 
And yet it's really all Exactly. Or, you know, in the late 70s, early 80s, all my parents' friends were into happy days. Yes, happy days. Perfect example. And that was a, that was what, a 70s show, right? Yeah, I think it might have made it up to 80, but there was still, there was still enough that I, I lived in the LA market so that they would still have like after school reruns of, of happy days. Yep. I remember, yeah, I, I, caught, the, I caught the reruns in, uh, myself, too. Like I said, I was trying to remember if it bled all the way into the 80s or not. But my point is, I knew it was an anachronistic show. You know, it, it wasn't an actual 50s show. It was a show about the 50s. Um, and, you know, and, and yeah, this iconic, how cool it was back then. And then, um, and then interestingly, that same thing started to happen with the 80s in the 90s. And... I'll say something really strange now. Um, Adam Sandler, I think, was was the trailblazer here. Hmm. How so? Uh, he made The Wedding Singer in, I think, 1998. Ah. And he he already saw that train coming. And yeah. he says, no, this, was, this is going to be the next big, iconic, nostalgic decade. And he made the wedding singer, and the whole thing was just a big parody of the '80s. I mean, like an over and like an over-the-top parody of the '80s at that. Um, you know, he had the curly mullet, the one hand, you know, the one, the glove on one hand, the jacket with the sleeves rolled up, and of course the soundtrack. You got to have the all '80s soundtrack. And, Billy Idol on the airplane. Yeah, literally meets Billy Idol on the airplane. You know, back when you can, and that was so soon after the '80s, you kind of could get away with it. You know, it was only. Yeah. It was only eight years after the fact. Um, so, and he was completely right. Within the next four or five years, you're starting to see that the, the early part, it's starting to happen. We see Grand Theft Auto Vice City, where they make an entire video game based around like this sort of really overly cartoonized version of Miami Vice. Um, and then again, they got the rights to use all the music for all the different, you could cycle through the radio stations and it's just every yeah category of music that you had back then but and then every year starting in there in the early to mid 2000s every year you just see more and more and more and more and i yeah. think it really people realized how dominant this was going to be i think when things like stranger things and followed immediately by glow gorgeous ladies of wrestling both hit netflix as original shows and were both running concurrently you had big movies coming out that were all you know, based in the 80s, um, Take Me Home Tonight. You had, again, I've already mentioned Wonder Woman 84 from, from last year. Um, that one was a, a bit of a mixed bag in terms of in terms of an 80s, you know, uh, sort of snapshot. But nonetheless, it's still capitalizing on that same, you know, nostalgia. Um, and, uh, you know, even movies that are less obvious in that way, like, Movies like Guardians of the Galaxy 1 and 2 and yeah. Thor Ragnarok in the MCU, they don't build themselves as 80s flashbacks, but they they they, they really do have this like strong 80s feel. Um, the, the Nurgle shirt or the Nagel, yeah. the Nagel painted and, uh, shirt. It, it's, this, <laughs> it's this sort of sense of it. Um, and the 80s were a weird time too because when you look at the actual things that got made in the 80s, I think this is where it really... Sh- is exemplary as, as a decade unlike so many others in terms of its pop culture it was insane I mean it was 
the things that they were making, the things that, you know, people got away with doing, uh, it's like you, you look back and you're almost like, how did we even survive when the people in charge were just basically, I won't say asleep at the wheel because I don't think you can fall asleep when you're on that much cocaine, but you know, it's like, what, what were they thinking? And it was just one thing after another, you know, lawn darts and Rubik's cubes, lawn darts, Rubik's cubes, Teddy uh, the latchkey kids. I think of, there's like two perfect movies from the eighties. That, I, that really kind of capture what was wrong in real life in the 80s. And that's The Breakfast Club and Adventures in Babysitting. Um, and both of those movies, despite having, to- or they are tonally so different. One is a very serious drama. The other one is just a wacky comedy. But the reason that both movies, the plot of both of movies exists because these children functionally have no parents. Yeah. In terms of like, they're just they're they're absent, and the plot works only because their parents are just parents are entirely checked out. They're like, "All right, we're gone. You know, you're on your own. You know, and these are teenagers, um, and the parents just essentially not there, don't care. Um, and yeah, I think we lived that back then. Those of us that were coming up that back then, we were like. I can, I mean, I can tell you, I can name times of my life where I'm in the eighties and, and I was young in the eighties. I was born in 1980, but I remember being seven, eight years old and being left by myself at the house. Yeah. Like functionally overnight. Like I, like as in, I don't, I went to sleep and my parents hadn't come home yet. It was just me, the VCR and you know, a microwave dinner. Um, and you know, luckily, you know, nothing too terrible ever happened yeah. and I never really thought twice about it until I was much older and being a father myself you know having a child myself and I thought to myself I would never in a million years leave a, an eight-year-old home alone like for the entire night that's bizarre and yet for me it was totally normal yeah. um, and I think that's but that and, and not just for me I think the fact that all of these movies exist pointing this out um, like exactly every, that it, that it yeah. was a cultural phenomena. Yeah, it's um, now also just sort of maybe shift gears a little bit. But but what other influences do you have besides the eighties? Oh yeah. So other than that, um, my I love classical mythology, uh, Greek, <laughs> Roman, Norse. Uh, I started getting into some researching for this project i got into some shinto some oh, okay. uh, reading reading in the reading up on some of the vedic texts you know for for hinduism um yeah a lot of stuff that i wasn't uh, that i was much less familiar with uh chinese mythology uh really fell in love with the idea of the monk kings and wukong um uh egyptian mythology and then interestingly enough it was the Lovecraft Cthulhu mythos that led me into the ancient Babylonian, ancient Sumerian, basically trying to go back. All right, what's older than Egypt? You know, what are what is the what are the oldest mythologies that, that we know of? And yeah, I basically went all the way back to this proto Indo, you know, Middle Eastern, Indo European uh, sort of theorized origins of, of most modern mythologies and got into the, the, the origin of everything. Yeah, it's, you know, some of our oldest ideas about 
you know, mythology, theology, cosmology, that sort of thing. You know, we've got, you know, basically it's like pre-monotheistic, you know, Middle Eastern religion, you know, Canaanite, Sumerian, Babylonian, you know, the pre-Hebrew stuff, where the modern context of God in the singular didn't exist, and it was God in the plural, and you had the wife of, you know, you had El, the ho- God of the host, you know, El Asherah, Asherah, the wife of God, and then all the other ones, um, you know, down in that pantheon, and I, was, I just got really interested in that, and how similar it actually is, you know, some of the really old mythologies, that's kind of where I see Lovecraft getting some of his ideas. It's, they're very, as I would describe a lot of that mythology as Lovecraftian, when you, especially when you, just, when you see the descriptions of these sort of demonic entities. Um, very parallel. Yes, I mean, you got, and Greek mythology especially, I mean, the Gorgons, you don't, you almost can't get much more Lovecraftian than the Gorgons. I mean, that's true. It's very Lovecraftian. And then, you know, and then you've got like the really big stuff, um, you know, and, 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 the, and the sort of older Sumerian demons, demonology, you know, you got Azazel and all this stuff. I think it's really fascinating how there is this sort of anxiety of influence over all of these things. You know, you can see uh, this idea of these other realms. Um, and of course that's, and the interesting thing is that bled through into the 80s pop culture too. I mean, you've got several adaptations of, of Lovecraft in the 80s. You've got, um, interestingly enough, uh, it's not widely known. I mean, Lovecraft fans surely know this, but the Friday the 13th franchise is considered Lovecraftian. Jason Voorhees is considered, you know, a sort of Lovecraftian entity. Um, and then likewise, the Evil Dead franchise is considered yeah. a part of that uh, mythos as well. Um, but yeah, it, it's... And, and it something re- else is that up in, right at the end of the 70s and sort of carried on to the 80s was that was the first English mass produ- produced Lovecraft books and editions. Before then, you pretty much had to go through Arkham House. But when, you know, um, uh, Tor and Del Rey said, well, wait a minute, maybe uh, Daryl's copyright isn't as high as as tight as he thinks it is and they started mass producing that sort of leads it into the 80s to be the first real i mean a, a renaissance since you know the 20s and the 30s yep um yeah I, I think yeah i didn't i wasn't aware of that you know that the you know legal particulars of the publishing part but it doesn't it makes total sense that that happens though um and- and one other thing happened in the 80s that I think really shot uh, the mythos into where it is, is the Call of Cthulhu role-playing game. Yes, definitely so. Um, that hit, that was a big deal. And of course, and role-playing games themselves got huge in the 80s. Dungeons and Dragons, and then all of that kind of just piggybacked off each other and, and built, I think, sort of a culture around that idea. Yeah. I agree, um, definitely. Um, but yeah, I remember Call of Cthulhu, the game. I think that's actually, it was around that time that I would have first heard that name, Cthulhu, and looked up the concept of what that was. And of course, immediately, oh, that sounds awesome. It's like Godzilla, but even weirder, you know, yeah. like as a kid. And that's, that was my thought process behind that. But yeah. Um, so sort of maybe jumping in time again, 
What do you think maybe in the 2050s, you think maybe, you know, 30 years from now, what do you think they're going to think about us in the early 2020s? Yeah, I think, um, you know, projecting out into the future, um, if for what I think if my if the, if the pattern I've observed of decades coming into fashion in terms of nostalgia, then I think the next big decade it looks like it goes thirty years, right? Twenties, fifties, eighties. That's consistently thirty year gaps. Yeah. So it'll actually I think be the twenty teens that if that thirty year gap holds true, and I think that's not that far off far fetched. Like look at everything that happened, especially in the last five years of the twenty teens. I mean, crazy stuff in terms of history, in terms of politics, yeah. you know, all that stuff going on. And it all culminates in 20, you know, 21 with the, that stuff. Sure. But, you know, you're, you're right. It's almost looking back, the 2010s is almost innocent. Yeah. If that makes sense compared to today. It does feel like that. And in some ways, I think the early 2010s, people may look back on those as the calm before the storm. Yeah, um, which in some ways you can say that's true. The '80s too. That that was right before the internet hit. That was yeah. the the '80s was the last time. It was the last of the analog, and then after that, everything went digital. Everything downloaded. Everything went cyber. And maybe that's going to be true of the teens right until 2020. Is that was that was the end of everything right before everything started to go quote crazy and we'll see how things if things calm down in the next few years maybe I'm completely wrong but I also yeah think yeah no, nobody knows what the future is gonna yeah I do think in 20 30 years they will look back on this time as is definitely it was volatile it was you know raucous it was uh, unwieldy and and then what they'll make of that I, I don't know um, yeah. you know we look back. The second half of the of the twentieth century, we think of the Cold War, you know, where it was us versus this sort of faceless other. Um, whereas now, the Cold War seems to be happening here domestically, you know, within yeah. within the borders. There's a sort of a different version of a Cold War, I think. Um, so that might be something that comes into play as well. Um, yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's 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 hard to look too far into the future, but. Um, of course, then again, at, at the same time, like as a sci-fi, you know, person, it's definitely a hobby of mine. Like, what will be, what will the future be like, um, and what will they think of us now? Um, That's, I, I'm almost always wrong guessing the future, and believe me, some of my guesses, it's good that I was wrong. Yeah. Um, that's yeah, that's true too. I, I tend to be oddly more optimistic than I think most people would expect. Uh, definitely than they would expect of, of someone that kind of dabbles in sci-fi, but it, I, I just, and maybe I'm completely naive here, but I always sort of think, you know, I think things are going to be kind of okay. You know, like, sure, there'll be bumps, there'll be some pushback, but I think ultimately, overall, things will, they will skew toward the positive. Um, and that's, and I say that just because I think for the most part, other than a few hiccups in history, knock on wood, so far that has kind of held to be true. Um, we got this far. We, <laughs> Yeah. It's almost, you know, people say, if you could go back to live in any time before now, and I always think, no, I don't think I would. Uh, yeah. I can, the best parts of the past 
exist for us to consume right now. I can watch the movies, I can listen to the music, I can re-experience the culture. I don't want to go back to a time where if I have a flat tire, I'm stranded. I don't want to go back to a time where certain people don't have rights. You know, that... You know, uh, pre-vaccines and polio and... Yeah, I mean, especially, you know, talking about going, like, way back. Yeah. It's like, we'll go back to the Middle Ages. No thanks. No thanks. Maybe a quick visit, but... Yeah, not, not forever. Um, so yeah, I, I think yeah, I, I am oddly optimistic. And every time some big new technology is announced, and everyone immediately clutches their pearls, and they're like, "This is this is this is we've gone to you know in the classic sci-fi ominous foreboding, we've gone too far." And I always think, "Nah, nah, this is gonna be fine. This will be okay. This will be cool. This will be fun. I'm gonna buy I'm gonna buy one. Well, give me the." Give me the smartwatch to check my heart rate. Yeah, yeah, I'll, I'll do it. Well, um, I have loved having you as a, a guest, but we're almost out of time, but we've got a, this is sort of the show's classic closing question. If you could put be put in charge of any creative project, any medium, copyrights aren't an issue, money isn't an issue, what would it be? Uh, you know what's funny is that's basically the question at hanging out at a bar one night drinking with friends that led to me creating this book trilogy uh you know my 80s book trilogy the sledgehammer trilogy is i thought to myself this is exactly how it started out i promise you this is how it started i said i would remake the last starfighter and pretty in pink mm. my friend my friends was like well no you can only do one thing i was like no 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 it would only be one movie I would just remake both things simultaneously as one movie. And I thought, yeah, I was like, because in the original Last Starfighter, you know, Alex Rogan goes off to space and they leave a robot decoy of him at home. And it looks just like him, you know, in a very cheap special effect, you know, it's just him. And, <laughs> and I thought, to him, I, I, every time I rewatch that film, you know, people will, a lot of people have said they should remake it because the special effects aren't that great or whatever. But, and I've always thought if they ever re- remade that, I think the better half of the story is the robot copy trying to go through the motions of pretending to be a human being. And of course, we've seen a million versions of that. But I thought, you know, let's let you know, let's. And that was where the Pretty in Pink came in. I was like, mm. I would. So what I would do is I would, if I'm going to write this '80s nostalgia, I would first of all set it back in the '80s, just like you know it was originally. Both of them. I would gender switch the main character. And that's where I came up with the name of my protagonist is I just took, you know, two iconic 80s names um, and I got Molly and Slater. Molly Slater is the protagonist. Okay. And yeah, and, and that was the original concept. It, it was a split narrative of one's off in space. The other one is th- this robot is going through the motions of, you know, trying to get a dress for prom and navigating like which guy to go on a date with. Cause you know, cause, because quote, she doesn't know. And the best friend character like figures out that it's not really her and then, but then helps her, you know, anyway, like, oh, well, I'll help you, you know, figure out how to be Molly, right? And then I started adding more into it. You know, I was like, never mind, never mind, never mind just the two movies. I'm going to throw in some Eddie and the Cruisers and some Flash Gordon in there too. And then before long, it wasn't just two movies. It was 10, it was 20, it was 30. And I had a base an entire a- franchise. Yeah. And then by the time I got ready to write the book, I just completely scrapped the last Starfighter angle and went in more of a She-Ra direction. Um, okay. But I always kind of like 
I always wanted that sort of grounded, no, but they're real. The thing they keep coming back to is prom and trying to get a band together, you know, and, and we can't find a drummer, and you know, like, while there's actual alien monsters like invading, you know, their reality from another dimension. And, and they're like, yeah, okay, we'll go fight them. But, but then back to band practice. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, that's kind of how it all started. So, I mean, that was, so it sounds like you're, you're doing your dream project in some ways. Yeah. I guess if I was going to do it in a different medium though, I would, what I would want is an animated version of the, of the idea. And, okay. and, and then before it's too late, you know, like a Netflix style animation, you know, like the recent Castlevania and Masters of the Universe re-ups, the way they've done that style. I like that art style. But if they did something like this, it, you know, within the next few years, that way you could actually get everybody from the 80s that's still alive to come back and do the voices. Yeah, at least do the voices. You know, you get, you know, you get Annie Potts back, you get... Like I said, you know, any, any certain Molly's, any certain Helen, that sort of thing. And, you know, Andrew McCarthy, that guy's still around. Um, yeah. You know, like, yeah, like Christian Slater is in their new um, um, inside job. Yep, that's true. Um, uh, so, yeah, I mean, I would, Elvira, I, I would have to involve Elvira. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, she's, she's, she's practically a deity of the 80s at this point. Yeah. Um, well, we'd love to have you on. I apologize. We're, we're almost running out of time, so I'd love to have you on again as soon as possible. But real quickly for my audience, where can they get your stuff? Well, where can they follow? We'll leave some show notes, but where are, where are some places that they can get your, your existing stuff and your, uh, your, your new book that's about to come out? All right, yeah, so um, so my new trilogy, books one and two are already out, so they're available on Amazon, Barnes Noble, any, you know, any any major book outlet, book retailer, uh, you can order it. Um, uh, I look under Jason Stewart? Yes, Jason Stewart. The first book is Jukebox Hero. Uh, that is book one of Sledgehammer, a rock and roll fable. That's the series title. Um, and Jukebox Hero, book one, is also available in audiobook. So the first of those has been produced as an audiobook. Um, the second and third, you know, commissioned, we'll have those out later. That's a process that takes a little bit of time, but, sure. um, but yeah, books one and two, book two, Hungry Like the Wolf is already out. That came out September 30th. And then the third book will release to Kindle and paperback uh, on Amazon, you know, again, Amazon and other retailers, uh, December 21st. So the, the whole trilogy will complete this year uh, by Christmas. Right, right before Christmas. Yep. Excellent. Excellent. And we will definitely make sure that we have some links. But again, thank you so much. And I hope to have you on again soon. Thanks so much for having me. I loved it. Great interview. Thank you. We are back. How? How? how oh, that, that was a quick break. I know it was a quick break. I mean, it was a good interview. And we had an interview too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, one, one thing I had to say before we we get quite into uh, the Conan talk is, 
I, I had some coffee today from one of our sponsors. This is so not even Conan or D&D related. It was a lavender coffee I had from, uh, it was uh, Vietnamese coffee from Copper Cow, and it was really good. I mean, if, if, I, if I was playing a, a LARP, I would, I would definitely treat this like for mana or uh, a health potion because it definitely picked me up and got me moving. And, you know... And it, lavender. It, yeah, yeah. You know, it it, it, uh, it 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 picked me up, but also calmed me down. It's kind of a weird sensation. So it's like, hey, this is a really good uh, pour over. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that picks me up and chills me yeah. out. Anyway. You know what I put lavender in? What's that? Lemonade. Lemonade. That sounds really good. Do you know what Conan puts lavender in? the mouths of his enemies I was going to say the skulls of his enemies <laughs> but yeah um, Conan in your RPG whether it be D&D or some sort of GURPS type percentile game or some sort of BRP uh, sword and sandal I don't know Cthulhu kind of uh, game uh, so yeah. So, so I have a, a Conan story. Sure, go for it. Uh, I have a Conan story, um, and we kind of we kind of fictionalize this with uh, um, Radio Free Oleander. Yeah. Uh, but when I was uh, this so it, it after so we'll go a little bit of history uh, of the role playing games of Conan. <laughs> but one of the first ones was that there were. A D and D titles tied into Conan, Conan the Destroyer, sure, and Red Sonia. Yeah, and one of the guys in this group, my group back then, he bought the Red Sonia one, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and he knew nothing. He, I don't think he saw the movie, but you know, I had it either. He, had, I think, he knew nothing about the comic book character. And so he basically takes us, he throws it in front of me in the day, says, you're going to run this for me. We're going to one shot or one person. And I, okay, that's cool. Fine. You know, you, you know, we're, we're going to play anyways. And you're buying the, you're buying the scenarios. Okay, we'll do it. And, and uh, that's the first time I actually read. I mean, I'd seen the ads for Red Sonia. Yeah. But the little part there at the beginning was kind of the first time I really learned about who Red Sonia was. Yeah. And that it was a, a Robert E. Howard character from, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, Valley of the Vultures. So we're reading it, and then I, I got it, and then I explained this part to him that Red Sonia had this law or vow of chastity. Uh huh. And his face just fell. And he goes, well, that ruins my plans. <laughs> it was still good. Yeah. It was still yeah. good adventure. Cool, cool. But, um, so those were probably the first. But about the same time, uh-huh. uh, the first role-playing game, yeah. uh, GURPS, Conan. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And they did a uh, GURPS Conan, uh, which is, if it's out there, is like one of the most expensive GURPS supplement. They didn't make a lot of them. Yeah. And then they did one book, which basically I think it was like during the 
the pickish areas mm-hmm. based on you know uh, on uh, Black River short stories um, so that was the first D&D and then when we get into 3E yeah there are two and one by Mongoose and I'm not sure the other one mm-hmm. but there's during that period two um, different companies do open 20 license mm-hmm. now like I said recently within the last couple of months the the trademark and, and you notice we don't use the word copyright yeah the stories so copyright and stories almost are all that the, the copyrights expect mm-hmm. so if I wanted to you know write red nails word for word you know credit to Robert e. Howard I could publish it and make money. Mm-hmm. What I can't do, though, what does not expire, is the trademark. Conan, like Batman, Superman, are trademark carriers, characters. Mm-hmm. So I can't write new Conan stories and publish it and yeah. get, expect to get any money off of them. Uh, so, uh, Modifius now, and who knows in the next two months, or after the last two months, held the right to the role-playing game in their 2d20 system okay and that is i think the best even better than say GURPS, which you can pretty much personalize mm-hmm. that is the best capturing the spirit of conan okay uh and so it's definitely got things where uh, you know, you can even do almost like signature moves, like do mental damage to your enemy by by showing him the the you know the heads of their leaders and things. Uh, but they written by it just that's labor of love. Yeah. As well as um, some very big name Howard scholars mm-hmm. are involved. In it. So here's my first advice. If you're going to do a Conan, mm-hmm. get the Modifius game. It's worth it. All right. Uh, and it's also, compared to the Modifius games goes, it's also usually about 5 or $10 cheaper than than some of their other D, uh, 2D20 games. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And, and I'm going to have one last tag for this, and we're not getting paid for it, but sure. Modifius, if you want, give us some money and we'll take it. You, It's almost, you can go online, there's uh, character generators mm-hmm. you almost cannot create a bad character with that system interesting good you to can know. just use it the random or whatever you want uh, it, it's almost impossible to create a bad character good to know good to know oh and i just want to take this moment hey if anyone wants to donate money to our paypal or join us on patreon or anything like that that money some of that money goes to dave so that dave can buy rpgs just you know help out dave and his rpg collection slash addiction you grew up to see my my little uh, puppy dog eyes. <laughs> puppy dog eyes over the podcast. But yeah, no, no. I would say, um, I mean, there's definitely things that you can do. Conan uh, eyes your campaign. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But if you want to truly Conan, go with the Modifius game. Okay. All right. Yeah. Um. What would you say if you wanted to Conanize your game, not just. Just uh, not, you know, it's like if you wanted to take it from Dungeons and Dragons, or 
Lord of the Rings, it's like, hey, I, I normally play Arthurian fantasy, medieval fantasy, heavy, you know, just kind of like uh, dark fantasy. That you know, it's like, how do how do I how do I get into how do I make it more Conan-y? What makes it more Conan-y? So I think a Conan-y enemy, mm-hmm. and, and I'm, I'm going to use for an example. I'm going to use the movie. Okay. Um, Thessal Doom. I mean, he's this huge, larger-than-life villain. Mm-hmm. But he's not in Conan's face all the time. Yeah. You know, he's got agents. You know, he's got powers. Um, so I think one of the thing is is to focus, make the make the bad guy there yeah but not there and have, you know have them have agents you know have the cultists do it in the bad guy's name mm-hmm. um and then um i would suggest being maybe sparing with magic mm-hmm. i mean obviously magic is a big part of the conan adventure but it's not it's not it's not necessarily fireballs. And yeah. that's going to be a hard to take away mm-hmm. because people want that. You know, um, Crom is not until like a much later, like the uh, uh, camp sh- uh, story, that we really see Crom is real. Yeah. Um, and so I would make it more mysterious, magic, rare. Um, and I, the other thing is, I would do use scenery porn. Yeah. You know, uh, Howard gave Conan this entire continent from these high mountains that go down to this ocean and a boat ride and then the desert and then back up in, you know, the, like middle Europe. As I would definitely play up the scenery, yeah, this the the way that people look, and um, I would give, you know, Conan is very heroic. He's this kind of anti. He's a neutral character. Yeah, I would definitely say he's neutral, but he always ends up doing the heroic. He's almost maybe even neutral chaotic. Yeah, yeah. But probably more neutral selfish. <laughs> a neutral selfish. But he ends up, he's got this own sort of code. So I would say he's more neutral than, than neutral chaotic. Yeah. But he ends up fighting these things that are worse than him. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and so I think that's definitely. And, and you know, we think of he's the barbarian, but he's also the pirate, mm-hmm. he's the mercenary, yeah. uh, he's you know the king. Uh, I, what are some of the things that you would do to sort of uh, do a Conan? Okay, so what I uh, uh, what I wanted to talk about was more how to use Conan in your game or or, or a Conan type character. So like you know. Like, and and also, I kind of wanted to say it's not just a Conan type character, but maybe also kind of like 
a Mad Max kind of character, like your chaotic, neutral um, outsider who comes from a place from outside from where you are, who travels through, you know, comes into your life, has their own epic story that you may have heard bits and pieces of, that when you first meet them, when you're first put in jail with this, you know, drunk mountain of muscle who, you know, you break out and they follow you and they, you know, help you escape. You know, it's not until like maybe seven adventures later you find out that the mercenary that you run into again and you're like, oh, hey, you're that drunk guy that someone says, do you know who that is? That's Conan. The, the the pirate that's Conan the mercenary or something like that or you know it's like you hear about this person and then you keep bumping into this person and you don't realize who it is it's just like oh hey it's that mercenary guy it's that fighter guy oh cool fighter guy cool you know and then it's not until like much later much further you know it's like maybe you're thrown into an arena together and it's like your character ah, Conan the Bar- Barbarian, blah, and you're like, oh shit. And then you realize, oh, I know this guy. This guy's cool. I've had drinks with this guy. You know that he's a friend from work. He's a yeah, exactly. Oh yeah, this is another adventurer. This guy doesn't want to be here either. Let's uh, figure out something and get the hell out of here. <laughs> I got a yeah. jewel to steal. You know, it's like if you your character's a thief and a, a a magic user or something like that. It's like, hey, you bump into this fighter from time to time you know uh conan can become your deus ex machina but conan can also be kind of like your uh person to say oh yeah no i've been from this place and if you go here and here you're gonna find this stuff i mean conan can be a contact conan can be like your hired muscle in some aspects conan can be your face your charismatic person if you don't have that you have a huge barbarian you have this big huge fighter guy that you know can use intimidate to maybe help you get some information if you can't i mean there conan is a swiss army knife uh, for, for for adventures and stories conan has it's it's kind of like early superman uh, if, if, if Superman needs early Superman, it's like Superman stories. If Superman needs to know how to do something, Superman knows how to do it. Or in Conan's uh, case, Conan may not know how to do it right away, but by the end of the story, Conan will know how to do it. <laughs> yeah, and, and that's and you definitely want to, to still keep. So it's, yeah, it's a thin line. Mm-hmm. He, you want to keep the story still about the character. Sure, sure. Um, and so, um, yes, and so, and I think especially, and you're right, Conan is the king, the thief, the freebooter, the mercenary, mm-hmm, the mm-hmm. brigand. Yeah. You know, he's all of these things. He's not just the barbarian. Yeah. But it might be, a, let's say you've got a whole team and everybody wants to play the support character. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, and, 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 you know, the likelihood of everybody wanting, maybe a group does, mm-hmm. you know, everybody wants to be, you know, the cleric, the, the thief. No one wants to be the the battle, you know, the big, you know, uh, ho, you know, uh, kill hobo. Yeah, I mean... So, I was going to say, you could have a campaign around that. It's like, hey, uh, you've been hired by this king to follow around this kill hobo who he's hired to take care of this person. But 
you know, the king also knows for a fact that you can't just send one, you know, pile of muscle with a big sword in a single direction, expect them to come back. So <laughs> maybe make sure he gets there safe, you know, ranger, get everyone there safe, cleric, heal everyone, rogue. I don't know. <laughs> but, but no, so yeah, may, maybe you've got characters that to them, you know, that stress of of making that that you know dice challenge for picking the lock. Mm-hmm. Maybe that's the thing they like. Yeah. And maybe you know, and and, and if you're gonna do that, um, and, and of course there's gonna be combat. Everybody's gonna get combat oh, yeah. eventually. But you know, you know, even you know your your murder hobos, you know, out there murdering hobos you know but your your thief character has you know five turns to get three successful mm-hmm, mm-hmm. lock picks yeah and, and maybe you've got characters that like that especially let's say you've got two characters mm-hmm. and, and you know they don't want to necessarily be the big combatants you know and, um yeah, you have maybe a larger than life character, um, and and let them do the the, the support stuff. The, yeah, the, maybe the, be the face stuff, be the mm-hmm. lockpick stuff. Yeah, yeah, and and if you have them do the support stuff, uh, definitely make the uh, combat stuff very cinematic around them. While it's like, okay, you've got uh, two more rounds to get this lock before the trap goes or before the uh, cultists overrun your uh, fighter probably and you know in all likelihood your fighter is going to be down in another round unless you get this door open Uh, you know you can definitely add the spice add the heat add the pressure Uh, yeah or make it a shared character instead of a instead of making an NPC you know you got four characters Mm -hmm. and you, you know you break your adventure into four you know times you play your character but the character one you know gets to play the conan sure sure uh, the first part and then you get the second part it rotates around so it's not just an npc it's, it's a shared character oh yeah and that and that way you could maybe justify having it if you're doing a, a d20 it's a higher level character mm-hmm well, yes, it is, but everybody gets to use it. Gotcha. Or, or maybe not even break the adventure into quarters. Mm-hmm. Just keep rotating it for, you know, combat turn. Yeah, yeah. I like that. I like that. You know, and then you might get, you might end up with a very schizophrenic character <laughs> that, that uh, you know, doesn't do all the things the same time or, or or you might end up with what a lot of us have ended up with in a dungeons and dragons campaign you have someone who's playing a barbarian and they're like what do i do next and then like the person who's playing the wizard who's probably played a little bit more dungeons and dragons possibly is like you need to do this you need to do this you need to do this and the dungeon master's like hey no outside help <laughs> yeah, no i'm at a game <laughs> So it, it turns into a big meta game <laughs> that everyone's a part of. Yeah. So yeah. No. That's the, so. I think it's interesting is have your yeah. If you're gonna have like sort of a Conan character, let it be all. Or let's say you've got two or three players, mm-hmm. one character. Yeah. 
one character, especially if you got three, mm-hmm. and, and I've never tried this. I don't know how this would work, but if anyone has, let us know. So you make this sort of, I don't want to say Mary Sue, but this pretty well-rounded character that can handle by themselves. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you just, you got three people, you vote. Ooh. You know, you, you vote, you know, what are you going to do? And then if it's three-way tie, you either, you know, go alphabetical order, you know, you get first, or everybody does a roll-off, whoever gets highest gets to decide that turn. Oh, wow. You have to have people that work together. Yeah. Because that could could almost come into real life. (laughs) But, yeah, if you're going to do a Conan... And the other thing is a Conan, if you're doing just one character, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. you know, start them off 10th level. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, make sure that there's someone who knows what to do with a 10th level character. Yeah. All right. Or, or, you know, or two, you know, if you got two, one or two, you know, start them off with a sort of highly experienced characters. Yeah, yeah, I like that. I like that. All right. Anything else on Conan that you can think of, Dave? Well, I think that's it. But like I said, um, now, if you are interested in trying out the Modiphius, mm-hmm. um, there are a couple of... And, and I don't know, like I said, I don't know if things are going to change mm-hmm. with copyright, but you you can get sort of like a baser set, starter set, and a couple of free adventures for free cool. on uh, Drive-Thru RPG. All right. So it's definitely worth um, um, checking out. I would also, uh, someone who has been a guest on this show before, um, Seth Sarkowski, mm-hmm. uh does some really good videos on the uh, Conan RPG and some of the adventures. Nice, 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 nice. All right. Well, next episode, I know we're talking about the color out of space and uh, a city that uh, Clark Ashton Smith wrote about. That uh, it's it's an ancient capital city that uh, everyone abandoned for some reason. We'll be talking about that. So. Uh, and it, it, it's not uh, Sarnak. It is not Sarnak, no. But yeah, uh, remember, check out uh, the show notes. Find out uh, where our guests can be found. Remember to rate, review, subscribe. Check out our sponsors. And Dave, any other final words before we head off into that dark night? Just as we get closer to the holidays, uh, you know... Um uh, we'll uh, have a happy holidays. Yeah, everyone, have a happy, happy holidays. And uh, I hope you're having a good commute, a safe uh, a safe trip, or uh, wrapping presents for whatever reason, doing whatever you're doing. Happy holidays, and we'll see you next week. Or will we? Ooh.